You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer, priests of the Diocese of Fargo. Honored and uh, privileged to be with you today as we continue these uh, wonderful conversations about uh, the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of our Catholic faith. You know, and Father Gross, it really strikes me like in this time, especially of COVID, all things COVID, pandemic, all, you know, Mm -hmm. we can't take anything for granted. I mean, in fact, remember we went through that whole period where we were never together. We we're from mm-hmm. a distance broadcasting. We have this time. Yeah, who knows where it goes or whatever. But I just, I'm just really impressed this morning, even on that drive down with all the ice and vehicles and the ditches, like saying, you know, we really need to be grateful moment to moment, uh, relationship to relationship, what God has blessed us with, and even we've had a number of our priests who have who've died here in mm-hmm. the last uh, mm-hmm. days and weeks, and. And just to realize, you know, this is a gift from God, and we're grateful for the gift right now. Mm-hmm. And even to have uh, the famous millennial evangelist apologist on, on air with us, Trent Horn. <laughs> we are a little bit starstruck right now, we have to say. We have Trent Horn with us. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, let's go ahead and begin by um, kind of getting oriented to your background and how you got into the work you're doing. Um, I'm just kind of curious, how how does a nice guy like you get involved in Catholic <laughs> apologetics? <laughs> uh, really? Well, my first involvement with Catholic apologetics was really out of necessity during my conversion, and I think that's similar for most apologists. Uh, it's funny, many people think that every single uh, Catholic apologist that has a, a large platform is a convert, and many of them are, not all, uh, but many are. Uh, and so for me, in, in high school, when I first was confronted with the claims of Catholicism, I had to answer all of these objections for myself. And so you know, I had to answer, be, be my own worst critic. And, and so through that, uh, I, I saw people told me I had a knack for, for teaching others and I had a desire to teach others how to answer these difficult questions. Mm-hmm. And it really grew from there, uh, going, I, I did pro-life work at university campuses, doing pro-life apologetics. And then in 2012, I was invited to join the staff at Catholic Answers. Wow, okay. So that's going on, uh, well, uh, eight, uh, eight years or so already that you've been with that organization. Could, could, Trent, could you yeah. just speak, um, I think because you have a unique platform here, could you talk to us a little bit from the millennial perspective? Because, you know, we hear all these studies and statistics about millennials and where they are and who they are and how they think. And, and, and apparently they, they struggle to have religion in their lives or at least organized religion, that kind of thing. Could, could you give our listeners some kind of reason for hope or, or something about this whole millennial uh, experience Cause since you're, you're counted amongst them? Well, I think uh, millennials, and then what's even more fascinating is the generation after the millennials. I believe they're called Zoomers. Uh, like you have the, the Boomers with, you know, Boomers, Gen X, Millennial, and then Generation Zoomers. Z. <laughs> Gen Z is another is another name for it, uh, because people used to call millennials Generation Y. Uh, I, I do see the, the trend with millennials, and then it gets further exacerbated among the, the Generation Z is that they, they tend to be less religious. Uh, they tend to, I think, with the generations, what we're seeing, and we've really seen this trajectory in every single generation, going back from World War II and the greatest generation, is a sense of being disconnected from other people. 
Um, I think there was, there was a book that talked about this many years ago. It was a book or a documentary, it might have been both, called Bowling Alone in America. Uh, yes. That, that mm-hmm. chronicled this, about uh, this sense of, of disconnection. I mean, you see among, uh, let's say, Gen Z, because I mean, even beyond millennials, Gen Z really makes it uh, forthright. Uh, we're at the low, historically low rates of uh, unintended pregnancies among and teen and sexual activity among teenagers which should be a cause for, for celebration. It is a good thing. But the reason for that is not because of a rediscovery of traditional values, but more uh, young people prefer interactions uh, over technology versus in person. So we don't have unintended pregnancies because young people just don't want to be in the same room with other people. They'd rather just be on their phone. Their Could computer. you say in a certain and way they do- we're almost post-human? Yeah. I mean, it's like we're... We're, we're, we're entering into some kind of time period where we're, we're post-human relationship or something. Yes, and the pandemic definitely exacerbated that even more in trying to inculcate in people the idea that it's normal to not have human contact with other people and that technology can provide a substitute for anything, which it can and what's difficult for that is, especially among millennials and others, uh, I'll give you another example of the challenges of an apologist. Uh, they have unprecedented access to information, which means they have unprecedented access to disinformation. Uh, things mm-hmm. like atheism, for example, is extremely common on the Internet, on social media platforms. And so it has a way of reaching young people that it really didn't uh, even, even 20 years ago. I know like our local university, the Newman Center here, they've, th- this year they've, they've stressed, they've changed the language instead of saying, focusing on social distancing, they've, they're, they're literally saying physical distance. We're meant to be yeah, social yeah. creatures and we need to be conscious of our physical relationship, but we need to be social with one another. How does your, okay, so your technique <clears throat> that you've mastered here, how does it address this? How, how, do, you, how do you get in here to help? bring light into these uh, these dark or non-relational places? Well, uh, what I try to do in my conversations, and, and people can see this uh, if they want to listen to my radio shows on Catholic Answers Live, uh, is I adopt a Socratic approach uh, when I engage other people, and, I, and it's something that I believe any Catholic can learn and master, and it involves just asking people questions, what do they think, why do they think that, trying to establish what are the reasons for what they believe, and then gently challenging the strength of those reasons with with various challenge questions. And so if you listen to the radio shows I do, most of them are, uh, I'm asking, it's not that person asking me questions, it's me asking the other person questions in order to defend, you know, what what they believe in in a a charitable spirit. So that's what I try to do in my so, so in, in your technique, let's because radio tends to be an artificial format because you're limited by time. But let's say you're having a conversation with somebody you've sure. met. How, what percent do you spend listening to them and receiving them before you actually respond to what they're saying or challenge with a question? Well, I would say more than 50% of the conversation uh, should be you listening and reflecting on the other person. And you're right, on radio, it's artificial. I mean, it, there's a bit of an entertainment aspect to it. I always have to, you have to keep in mind uh, for the listeners. But in a real conversation, you can be free to take it at a much slower pace. And I, I do believe you should, you should be listening to a person enough so that you can repeat back to them, is this what you said? And they said, yeah, that's what I mean. And then you, you really, really hit the nail on the head if you're able to do that. So about 
60% of the time we should be listening to reflect on what the other person says, repeating back to make sure we understand it. And then the other 30% of the time, uh, we should be asking the other person questions. By asking questions, it forces them to confront the issue to, or to confront their own beliefs. I want to read something from uh, your website. Uh, Trent, uh, uh, colleague Matt Frads uh, says of you, what makes Trent Horn an excellent apologist, apart from the fact that he's incredibly bright, so let's polish your halo for just a moment here, is that he seems better able to formulate his opponent's arguments than they can. (laughs) So if you could just talk a little bit about uh, the importance, at least from your uh, perspective, of understanding what kind of arguments people are bringing to you and how that maybe, you know, reflects a certain respect toward people in encounters that they might not be expecting in in that setting. Yes, and that's important. Uh, this is indicative of two ways of understanding people's views, one that is a fallacy and one that is a best standard of practice. So one would be straw manning. Straw manning is when you take another person's position, you intentionally make it weaker in order to refute it. Uh, and that's a fallacy. You should take on the strongest position. And that's called steel manning. Steel manning is when actually when you take someone's position, you make it stronger, and then you proceed to refute it. So that would be uh, the, the gold standard when it comes to interacting with others. And we see this, for example, in St. Thomas Aquinas' work, like the Summa Theologia. Absolutely. He brings up very powerful, he brings up very powerful objections mm-hmm. uh, and then proceeds to dismantle them. Uh, and so people have a lot more respect for that. I will say, though, that this comes up a lot when you talk to regular people about what they believe. Uh, most people are not uh, trained philosophers. I, I believe that everyone is a philosopher in some sense. They ask questions and think about important questions. But most people haven't systematically studied how to do philosophy. So when they have these positions, it's often they have kind of muddled thinking about it. And so you want to ask questions to tease out what they believe and get them to see kind of the inconsistencies they're carrying. Sure. Now, you've, you've written a number of books. One of them is a Hard Sayings book. Could you, could you talk to us about that one a little bit in particular and the gist of it and why, yeah. why it's something to look at? Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed writing Hard Sayings. Uh, I spent about a year and a half on that book. And most when I write my book, uh, I ask myself various questions before I decide to write a book. Namely, am I interested in the topic? Uh, would this benefit the body of Christ? And have other people ri- have other Catholics written on this topic? Uh, and uh, it was two yeses. If it's two yeses and a no, then I then I will, I'll go ahead and I'll write it. And that was the case for Hard Sayings. <laughs> so Hard Sayings is a Catholic approach to answering Bible difficulties. You know, contradictions. Uh, difficulties, passages that seem to endorse immorality. And what's interesting is that there are many, many books on Bible difficulties from a Protestant perspective. There's, there's several encyclopedias of Bible difficulties from a Protestant perspective. But prior, when I wrote Hard Sayings, there was no similar book from a Catholic perspective. I was really boggled that there, that there just wasn't. There were um, some academic journal articles and academic books for Catholics, uh, but there hadn't been anything that was as comprehensive as what I was attempting to do in that book, which is to address these alleged contradictions in Scripture, either alleged contradictions of science and history, alleged internal contradictions, or moral difficulties, uh, and, and I really enjoyed writing it. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some of the areas or topics that you addressed in, in the book Hard Sayings? 
Sure. So the book is divided into three different kinds of biblical contradictions. The first kind are external contradictions, where it appears the Bible contradicts something outside of it. Uh, so this would be science or history, like the claim that Genesis contradicts science, or that the historical narratives of the Old Testament contradict history or the archaeological records. Uh, the second section is on the idea that the Bible contradicts itself, either in its record of events or how, what it, you know, the, the Old Testament has a mean, nasty God, and the New Testament has a kind, loving God, so there must be two different gods. And then the, the last section is on moral difficulties. What about when the Bible talks about slavery, or when the Bible discusses when God commands the Israelites to let no man, woman, or child leave nothing that breathes when you slaughter the Amalekites? How are we to understand these passages? So those are the, the, just a sample of the difficulties I, I address in the book. Okay, as an apologist with this knowledge and understanding, what, what's the number one objection or difficulty that you, you experience the most common on the street man who you, you encounter with the Bible? Um, it, it's hard. It depends on who you're speaking with. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess if it's someone who's not religious, it's usually, I don't see why I need religion, I have science. And if it's someone who is religious, like if they are a Protestant, it's, I don't see why I need a church, I have the Bible. So I would say that's the, the most difficult, uh, the typical thing that I, uh, well, uh, those would be two doctrinal things. But the other thing, if I, although if, when I was at uh, doing it, I was filming a documentary several years ago, and I asked people, what their biggest objection to the Catholic faith was. For most of them, it was moral issues, like contraception or, or so-called same-sex marriage. So I think the moral issues frequently arise a lot for individuals. But if I had to go to the root, I would say the root is a belief that, because you'd say, well, why do they have these moral disagreements? I would say it's because they believe science is the only thing that gives them truth in the world. Right. And uh, so that would be the kind of scientism among the non-religious, and then uh, for pro- among Protestant Christians, it would be a, a sola scriptura attitude, like, well, I don't need a church, I don't need a bishop or a pope, I have the Bible, why, why would I need more than that? Or, or all this stuff you're telling me about being Catholic, where is that in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Do you find, you know, <clears throat> with the technique that you use, Trent, the um, do people tend, like, normally myself as a priest, uh, somebody, when they approach me, they usually approach either because they want to let me know what for and they're not really open, or they approach me because they're open and they really want to know. Do, do sure. you find, like, with your approach by doing the strong man, uh, making their argument stronger, do you find that, that that takes down their defenses and that they, they actually might go from, I'm here to tell you the way it is, to, oh, I've never thought of that, I'd, I'm interested in hearing more? Oh, I think it absolutely does. It, it, most people... They're, when they're in conversations about these important issues, uh, they're, they're expecting conversations to be like what you see on a cable news network, which aren't real conversations. They're, it's a yeah. circus. It's just people kind of yelling at each other. They yes. want to just jab at each other, and they think it'll be like that. And I tell them, no, it's not going to be like that. It'll be a real conversation. And then it's a give and a take, and we have respect for the other person. So when, when that occurs... Then uh, we can have, you know, we we can actually have substantive disagreement. We can find out where we agree, and that's important also in conversations to talk about where we agree. You know, I can agree mm-hmm. that science is good. I, I have a love for scripture. We should affirm our agreements, and then allow that to naturally lead to our disagreements. 
You know, as as you're describing that, I think of in Matthew's gospel where, you know, Jesus gives us a spiritual principle where he says, agree quickly with your adversary or you will be found guilty and will not be released. I pay every last penny. And I, that used to confound me. Like, what, what does he mean? What does he mean? But I've realized, like, especially in regard to apologetics, if if somebody comes at you with a really hard kind of thing, it, there's always something about what they're saying that you can agree with. And it, it, you might not have to, have to have the same conclusion, but if you find that element and and you actually agree with them, suddenly there isn't an argument so much as a discovery, like what you're describing. That's correct. And I, and I think that's what we have to understand, that when we're engaging people, you know, Fulton Sheen once said, you can win an argument and lose a soul. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely right. When, when you just treat it as winning arguments, and you don't have a genuine care for the other person who is involved, uh, then you're, well, then you're just out for sport. You're, you're not evangelizing. You're just, you're just having philosophical sport, and that's not what we're called to do as Christians. Yeah. Well, if you're just tuning in, uh, folks, to Real Presence Live, we are, are having a treat with Trent, you might say, as Trent <laughs> Horn, a uh, popular Catholic apologist, is joining us, and we'll continue the conversation right after the break. Please stay with us. You're listening to Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Mayo Pharmacy in Bismarck is a faith-based pharmacy committed to delivering excellent care. We're pro-life and pro-family, respecting the dignity of the human person while providing for your individual needs. We have Catholic gifts for all ages, from mystic monk coffee to cards and crucifixes. Plus, we offer a wide range of clinical services, including rapid influenza testing and diabetes care management. You can visit us at 303 North 4th Street to discover the Mayo difference. Our number is 701-223-2424. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar. In this world of suffering and pain, we've all experienced loss, especially the death of someone we love, and it's never harder than it is with suicide. In our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and for You, we want to be able to help you. We know that the pain and suffering is great, but we also know that we we can get through it. So please visit suicideandhope.com to learn more. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo, parishioner of Saints Anne and Joachim Church in Fargo. I'm excited to share with you the launch of Lumen Vision, providing eye care for the whole family, including eye emergencies, vision therapy, and routine exams. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Eyes of Faith, a frame company that prints scripture verses on the inside of each frame. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer joining you from Grand Forks today. And uh, we have on the line Trent Horn, a noted Catholic apologist whom you may have likely heard on episodes of Catholic Answers uh, here on uh, Real Presence Radio. And uh, we're glad to say initially you were scheduled to come later this month, but we have rescheduled you, Trent, for the end of January to appear in our diocese, um, giving, I think, sort of a synopsis... uh, an encapsulation of the topic of the book, Hard Sayings, Answering Bible Difficulties. So that's going to be on Friday, January 29th of 2021. We're going to be certainly promoting that more as the time gets closer. Uh, Trent, I want to just turn for a moment here to one of your uh, apostolates, uh, your podcast, which has one of my favorite titles for any podcast, The Council of Trent, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, spelled as one of the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit what your um, methodology is when it comes to the podcast itself and uh, you know how how you put that together what kinds of um, uh, what kinds of topics you uh, you you try to tackle there sure well I do three episodes a week they're about a a half hour each and on Tuesdays and Thursdays we cover apologetics theology how to explain defend the Catholic faith I'll sometimes take on a an element that's in popular on social media or a current event. Uh, sometimes I will share uh, audio from the rebuttal videos I do online to anti-Catholic videos on YouTube. So I'll do that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and then Fridays, uh, as this is a more of a fun show, it's free-for-all Friday, where I, I talk about things that I, I just consider to be uh, fascinating. It's, it's a wide variety of topics that I'll address. I think I had my son on a few months ago to talk about, we talked about dinosaurs and uh, uh, other topics I've talked about, like, you know, real life mysteries of the American South with Jimmy Aiken. And, uh, and the the point is just, that's just for people to be able to have fun. You got to have fun. Uh, And also those episodes serve as pre-evangelization. People who are not Catholic sometimes start with the, the fun Friday episodes and move into the others, but it's on three days a week. Uh, you can. It's available for free on iTunes or Google Play. The Council of Trent, C O U N S E L, for to access bonus content, the ability to comment on episodes, submit questions for episodes, uh, and get bonus items such as the Council of Trent mug uh, and other great things. You can uh, get that by going to trendhornpodcast.com and becoming a premium subscriber. Like, like they said in the uh, Mel Brooks movie Spaceballs, merchandising, right? <laughs> <laughs> get the merchandise. <laughs> the search for more profit. <laughs> hey, Trent, could you, I mean, since we have you, we have access to you, could you give our listeners, we have about potential 2.5 million listeners right now who are listening to this broadcast. Could, could you give us just a little insight into the whole world and universe of Catholic answers, some of the personalities. What, it, like, are you in San Diego? Is everybody in San Diego? Do you come together? Are you guys in studio? How, how does the whole Catholic answers thing come about? And is it, is it fun to do this or is it hard work? I mean, what, what, what's that world like? Oh, yeah. Well, we put on a good face for the radio show, but then we don't talk to each other later. I'm, I'm just <laughs> kidding. It's, it's a complete, just like you guys. Just like you guys. Uh, uh, no, it's, it's, um, uh, it's a wonderful place to, to work. Our apostolate is based here in San Diego. Uh, we do our radio show, Catholic Answers Live, two hours a week, but also we publish books, magazine articles, videos, courses for our new school of apologetics. And it's a wonderful environment. Uh, we have daily mass here in our, our chapel. Uh, 
Uh, it's, it's just a great environment. In fact, I'm going to be sad to leave it. Uh, I'm not leaving Catholic Answers, but I, I'm going to go and work remotely uh, in a month. I'm moving okay. because I, I told our president I'm just set up with California. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, pretty uh, I mean, San Diego is a beautiful place, but it's not worth living under uh, the bureaucrats here. And then the cost of living is expensive. And, you know, you get a, for a really, really high mortgage, you get a 1,200-square-foot home. So mm. I, I, And then just, yeah, the bureaucrats. Like, so, for example, on Saturday, uh, our churches are all going to close again, indoor services. You can have outdoor service, which is fine. I mean, it's not unbearable in san diego in november or anywhere else be like uh okay uh but we have to do outdoor services for churches but because of a weird legal injunction strip clubs can still be open so i'm like (laughs) i'm i'm done with i'm done with all this uh so i'm going to work remotely in uh Mm -hmm. in dallas texas uh to be and we might and we may open a remote office there and other apologists may join me there's others considering to join the cal exodus Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned, Trent, uh, some of the difficulties going on with the pandemic, perhaps more acutely in other parts of the country than for us here in the upper Midwest. But when you talk about months on end of not being able to gather, you know, at uh, a parish church for mass and various things like that, um, I guess I'd like to hear some of your thoughts in terms of, um, you know, uh, parishes and communities. What kinds of things would you recommend that we do, you know, right now in order to kind of mobilize ourselves to get ready in order to um, invite people back when uh, restrictions are lifted and when we can kind of turn the page. What sorts of things would you encourage uh, Catholics to be doing rather than to be caught, you know, flat-footed when, when that day arrives? Sure, and I'll preface that this is my opinion. I mean, I'm not an expert in sure. uh, liturgy or in uh, parish methods parish-based methods of evangelization. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just spitballing here. But I will say we, we have a daunting challenge ahead of us that many people have... Uh, in six or 12 months, you can really well establish a habit. If your habit is just not going to Mass or watching it on television, that can be pretty entrenched. So we have to be prepared to offer people what they can't get at home. Uh, so they can watch it on... There's a bunch of difference between watching something on television or a computer, and actually having that sense of community uh, at Mass. So, you know, having uh, people who are, I mean, Protestants are just great at this, at, like, greeting people when they come to Mass. We're, like, we're like notoriously bad at just making people not feel welcome, or, or at least not making them diswelcome, but, like, not having a sense. Like, we, we treat, like, Mass sometimes as, like, the office. We all just show, you know, we show up, we punch in. It's not like there's someone there to welcome people. There might the closest welcome is like here's your here, here's your bulletin, here's your mm-hmm. worship aid. There you yeah. go. Go have a seat over there. Uh, so I, I think that sense of welcome, and then I think also th- this is a time to really offer people a sense of beauty. I, I think one of the most important ways that a parish can evangelize and help bring people back to the faith is to really, really take the liturgy seriously and put every ounce of strength you have into making it beautiful. To make it, and make it beautiful in a timeless way. Uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, what, what I don't care what you have to if you have to sell a part of the parish in order to pay for having uh, beautiful music or artwork or you know just just beauty. Beauty will will def, you know beauty will save the world. I forget who said that, but I know someone said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that that I think is um, as what I think is important. 
Yeah, Bishop Barron uh, very famously is talking about how through uh, aesthetics and through beauty we can, you know, reconnect with people in terms of uh, awakening their love for God. Definitely. Oh, Dostoevsky. It was Dostoevsky who said that. I knew, I knew that was a quote. So. Ah, Dostoevsky. Uh, but yeah, so, I, so, so I, okay. I think that that is, uh, and also I think that it'll be on individuals, not just at the parish level, but individuals to make that invitation to invite people Yes. To return to mass, to come with, to break out of the, the habits that have formed, and to make that kind of uh, personal connection. So, w- what is it that we're up against? Like earlier, we were talking about how everybody is so isolated and living virtual lives, and that's become their habit or their understanding. And and now you're describing to us, well, we need to have a sense of community and belonging and so forth. How how do we bridge that? What's 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 the bridge that that makes that possible? Well, I mean, ultimately, the bridge that makes us possible here, and the other thing, of course, to instill in people as to why to return to Mass, that you wonder, I mean, the, the biggest thing that you cannot get at a televised Mass that you get in person, and should be the obvious thing, is the Eucharist. That is the most, mm-hmm. that's the most obvious thing. That is the source and summit of our faith. And we had that study several months ago that said 70% of Catholics, put Catholic in quotation marks for that, but 70% of people who identify as Catholic don't believe in the real presence. 30% of people who attend Mass regularly don't believe in the real presence. So it won't change unless we help people to see that uh, Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. And, you know, to, to one, underscore the importance of attending Mass to receive Him, but then even just treating our Lord with respect and reverence during the liturgy itself. I mean, I, I will tell you this, yeah, I'm... I am disappointed here in California. We have, I don't know, we have like these safeguards, quote-unquote, in place where people are receiving the Eucharist. And I understand we need to be safe. We shouldn't spread this disease, obviously. But it's like I receive the Eucharist. Some, uh, yeah, I might get in trouble for saying this, but I, I don't care, frankly. I don't care at this point. Uh, you know, they, they hand it to me through this plexiglass barrier that's like going to the bank, like, like a bank teller. And they put, pass it through and give it to me in my hand. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's yeah. it just, it, it, it makes me feel like I'm just here showing up to get a <clears> job. But I think what you're speaking to, instead of worshiping our Lord. Yeah, you know? what you're speaking to, Trent, is we're we're incarnational. God became incarnate, and our religion is incarnational. And when we, right. when we do things to sterilize or prevent that. <clears throat> one way or the other there needs to be it's like the cross there we are meant to be social we're meant to be incarnational and we and it affects our souls in a very deep way when we're we're up against these things that are artificial right yeah exactly so i mean it will be it'll be very difficult but living a grace-filled life a life of example to others rooted in the sacraments rooted in charity and love for others uh, that's what's always made the Christian faith attractive, even in the darkest times, and even times in human history that were far darker uh, than this one. Well, it is really sad for us to recognize that we are just about out of time with you here, Trent, but uh, I just want to say on behalf of our viewers, thanks for all of the great work that you're doing. Thanks for taking some time to visit with us today, and uh, blessings uh, blessings to you and, and uh, your new endeavors. Uh, yes, thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to in, in person being in Fargo here in January. Amen. For being someone who lives in California, I'll have to bring about eight coats to wear, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and, and very very quickly, if uh, people are interested in your, your books or resources, where can they go? 
they can go to my website, trendhorn.com. Uh, they can also check out my uh, podcast premium subscriptions at trendhornpodcast.com. And many of my resources are also at catholic.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Trent, for joining us today. And uh, all the best to you and your future endeavors. Of course. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, one hour in the books. Our second hour is coming up. No fancy jargon, just honest conversations for Catholic men. We'll be talking to the founder of the Just a Guy in the Pew podcast. This and more coming up on the next hour of Real Presence Live. Real Presence Live.